0: It's June 15th, 2020. This is Rook. talk about shining the light as a global Iranian community on our musical artists in the diaspora and back in Iran. It's important to not just highlight the best from the past and the musical styles you might naturally fall back upon, but also those who are paving the way for Persian music's future. So maybe once in a while we need to take a respite from the bandari, the sonati, the talfiqi, and turn up the hip-hop? That's right. It might be the contemporary pop music of the West, but hip hop and rap are still pretty new in their Iranian incarnations. One of the most beloved pioneers of Iranian hip hop joins us today. This is Conversations from to and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. episode number 18 of Rook. Hi (laughs) Shia. You're speaking with your keys. Hmm. It's very nice. Should I know what that is? Oh, very nice. (laughs) Well, we can explain the relevance of that in a moment. Uh, we have Fawn coming up, our buddy, yes. who is in L.A. I know he, yeah, he's very a, excited. Actually. You are excited yes. and he, because he's a, I mean... He's not just somebody who's doing interesting things in music uh right now and uh and producing and running a record label all that but but as we will explain this genre didn't even really exist of Persian hip hop up until the last couple of decades and he was one of the forerunners of that even though he's in his mid 30s. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes. How was your weekend? Uh
1: pretty well, pretty good,
0: yeah. Actually the weather is great. The here. weather's great? Yeah and I I had a day of playing, sometimes I'm home and uh, actually my my dog, Oogie, you know, little Oogie, I have a little French bulldog, he had surgery, so I I had to kind of tend to him all weekend, making sure that he's okay.
1: How is he? I forgot to ask you. He's
0: really stoned. Because he's uh, taking these medications to keep him, <laughs> <laughs> so he he's he's just kind of looking, you know, staring at the wall uh, like he's done, you know, smoked a huge joint. Philosophical. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Philosophical. That's correct.
0: I should explain when I'm giving him these medications. It's because. Uh, of course, he's wearing the cone, the cone of Shane around oh, his head. Clearly. You know, but that you have to give him uh, because we don't want him to be too active because he had he's had knee surgery. Oh. So he's young; he's only a couple of years old, but already his knee had some issues, and oh. they, there was a luxating patella. So they had to fix his knee up, and so he's got to stay not active, you know? And his tendency, even though he's got this one leg now that oh. that he can't use for now, um, his tendency is to want to run around. So you give him these, they prescribe these pills to just keep him calm, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. that's why he's stoned uh, uh, while he's Brilliant. taking this.
1: I love Ugi. Yeah, love he's Ugi. the best.
0: So I was home with Ugi, and then I, sometimes I create playlists for myself uh-huh. of what I'm going to play all day. And uh-huh. then sometimes it's it's one artist. And you know my... My favorite uh, all time, you know, is Bowie, David Bowie, Bowie right? No, yeah, yeah. He was a little before my time, but then I, I caught up to him throughout my life and, and he just became my idol. So so all of Saturday was uh, 1977, 1978 era Bowie, the three albums that he put out when cool. he was in Berlin Low, Heroes, and Lodger. And I was actually thinking about you. Uh-huh. I don't know if we've talked about Bowie. No, 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 we so have did to you, talk about Bowie. Did yeah. you, uh, This be very careful how you answer this. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> did you know uh, of David Bowie while you were growing up and playing music in Iran?
1: Yes, yes, okay. of course, yes. And right. um, I think. Because once in a while, uh, you didn't know Talking Heads. No, I didn't know them. Okay, but yeah. you knew Bowie. Yes, Bowie is kind of famous in Iran. Yeah, and uh, I I think the the song was very hit in Iran, the Lost Highway. Lost Highway. Lost Highway. I think it's it's a soundtrack for uh, the Lynch. David Lynch. Uh, David Lynch movie. That's
0: uh, this is <laughs> I'm I'm a, yeah. a Bowie expert. I don't <laughs> no, know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, really, Lost Highway? Are Lost? you thinking of David Bowie? Uh, no, it's
1: it's for sure David. Maybe I, I'm oh. wrong with the name, maybe but it's song
0: definitely David Bowie.
1: It's uh, the ending title. Uh, oh, the song. Yeah. Okay. I I will I will
0: find the find play it, it during the Airfon interview. <laughs> yes. You can see what you what we're talking about. Um, yeah. So well, that's good. So you were a Bowie fan. Yes. Um, and then the and then Sunday I was listening uh, to a guy named Sohail Nafisi. Oh, I love him too. Who also I love. but And the funny thing about that is I actually can understand all the lyrics to the 70s pop Iranian music. You know, even someone like mm-hmm. Dariush, I can mm-hmm. understand. But with Sohail Nafisi, I love it, but I don't totally know what he's singing some of the time.
1: Uh, but usually he sings the... Uh, actually, the the song that I love from him, he, he sang one of Ahmad Shamlu's poems and... I love that, and he he you know, he he never sing a cheesy thing, mm. and I love him. I
0: love you. Him. Know what I love about, uh, from Sohil Nafisi when he was on the Lost Highway soundtrack? <laughs> it was great. I think it's, I'm not sure if that's the right one, but I think Lost yeah, Highway, yeah, yeah, he was. <laughs> <laughs> we need to look that up. I, I have no. I I might be wrong. No. It might be a lo, the lost no, highway.
1: No, I I will find it. Okay. The, uh, all right.
0: All right. I feel like we need to find it right now. Yeah, yeah. Should uh, I look it up? Yeah. Lost yeah. highway. Yeah. Uh, so we we're supposed to have started the show here. Uh, oh, 1997 film. Okay. So soundtrack.
1: Is it boy? I'm sure that. Yeah.
0: Um. Y- yes. Yes, there is a song. Uh, wow, this is this is we're going deep here. There's a song by Bowie on the soundtrack. Yes, but they, the, the, but there's 22 songs on the soundtrack. One of them is David <laughs> Bowie. Uh, I mean, it's not the most. It's the, not the first reference people think of. Yes, but, uh, that's, but uh, uh, yeah. that's what you knew him from. Yeah, yeah. All it's right.
1: actually it's the first song that I I knew Bowie, and then I got to him and I he's probably, all right yeah
0: I stand corrected uh, <laughs> Trent Reznor produced that that Lost Highway record from Nine Inch Nails okay yeah. um, let me get to our guest who's uh who we've just talked a little bit about, but um, uh, a very interesting guy. You know, while American youth of the 80s and 90s could grow up idolizing hip-hop artists like Grandmaster Flash and then Public Enemy, the Beastie Boys, or then Snoop Dogg, not a lot of kids born in Esfahan in the 1980s were dreaming of becoming superstar rappers. That's partly because prior to the last couple of decades, Persian hip-hop wasn't a thing. It was something that literally did not exist. In fact, it's such a young subgenre that one of its grizzled veteran pioneers is actually still only 36 years old. And these days, he sounds something like...
2: A whole bad shake, bad half and enjoy a joy Pam
0: Erfan Paydar, or just Erfan, with one of his latest tracks, Paydar-e, a song off his album from last year called Ayatol Trap. He is a poet whose works run the gamut from daily life and fun screeds to social issues and political commentary. He's a songwriter, a producer, a podcaster, a label owner, and undoubtedly one of the best-known hip-hop artists to come out of the Iranian global community. Erfan joins me from Los Angeles today. Hello, sir.
3: Hi, Gian. What's going on? Shari? It's good to talk to you guys. Finally. I'm excited to have this conversation. <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm really happy to have you on. I, I really am. Uh, listen, first of all, I hope you've been doing okay during the COVID era. I, you know, I heard you say this in a very recent interview. You said, I want to quote you. You said, there are a lot of things I've gotten used to doing during quarantine. I'm going to stick to doing those things. It was kind of a teaser because in that interview, you don't explain what those things are. So what are those things? And how has the way you lead your life changed in this pandemic time?
3: Well, there's a lot of things that you do that just cuts out the hours of your day. So much wasted time uh, when you're just going to work, especially I live in Los Angeles, just getting to the office and back and just doing going to the grocery shopping, anything. You waste so much time that you don't realize. And then since when the quarantine happened, I realized that I could organize my day so much more and there's so much that I could do uh, just being at home and then you get better sleep. You go out less. Um, so overall, you just end up, uh, I feel like you can, in, in some way, my lifestyle become healthier and I became more productive because uh, there's a lot of different things that I do that they need, need their own focus.
0: So I was able to do. Are you a partier normally?
3: On weekends, yeah, some some might say that. <laughs> um, I like going out and um, not going out. I don't go clubbing and stuff like that, but I do like hanging out with friends, listening to good music. I like going, um, you know, out of town in nature, getting cabins and that kind of thing. So,
0: um, anyways, you know, it was it's interesting because. Um, uh, so there's less four a.m. kabob at this point, and uh, <laughs> <That's pretty
4: laughs> after true.
0: after a night of of it's interesting because. Um, uh, Melody from OBG's a couple of weeks ago on the show was saying this time she's in New York ha- has been eye-opening for her, that somehow the isolation led her to looking inward and um, thinking a lot more about how she leads her life. H- have you actually experienced something that profound? I mean, it's okay if you haven't. Yeah,
3: but. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There was a lot of things, that because uh, when you live really fast-paced, and maybe it's not even just a quarantine, but when you get a break and you kind of have something breaks that habit of, uh, not even a habit, but just like going so a fast paced with everything. You don't have time to sit back and reflect on everything that you're doing, what things you need to cut out in life, what things you need to spend more time on. And it gave me, uh, that's what it gave me, the quarantine.
0: So what's something you'd want to cut out now?
3: Getting more sleep. That's the number one thing. Uh, I wasn't getting much sleep. I, I'm just, I don't sleep long hours. I wake up, no matter what time I sleep, my friends make, make fun of me. They say, if he sleeps at 12 o'clock at night, he wakes up at 6-7. If he sleeps at 3 a.m., he wakes up at 6-7. If he sleeps at 6-7, he wakes up at 6-7. So, um, Really? You're, you're an that, early um, riser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been always throughout my whole life. I'd wake up like 7 a.m. on weekends when I was like a kid and drive my parents crazy.
0: You know that's that's uh, counterintuitive. That's at odds with the uh, drug-addled hip-hop star image. Uh, <laughs> that I would expect you know you'd roll been rolling out of bed at one in the afternoon. You know, still sobering no. up. Uh. Yeah. So you know, we've talked to a few musicians during this period who've uh, spoken of their their fears for their careers with this pandemic and the aftermath of course musicians not being alone i mean everybody's worried about this economically but sure. certainly classical musicians or someone like hamed nick pay who was on a few weeks ago talk about how they don't know how they'll make ends meet without being able to depend on live show revenue in a time when there's not going to be any live shows for the foreseeable future. Is it different in hip-hop because you can depend more on recordings and videos to monetize your existence, or are you also worried about where things go from here?
3: No, definitely. I've had some worries uh, because I I had to cancel three shows. Uh, They were postponed, and... um, multiple other shows that we're supposed to make happen this summer I had a big show in la like everything's been put on hold so i definitely lost out on a lot of money but at the same time because i i, I do so many di- different i do multiple different things that i do so i've been able to kind of tap into something different like do more songwriting for example for people and charge people to write songs for them or do production for them now that i can't do shows and i kind of I fall back on that
0: you know I've told you this when you and I have talked before, but for the longest time, I thought you were uh, like a super Iruni guy who had more recently come from Iran and probably didn't even speak English. Um, So it was quite funny to find out you're an American lad from California who's also Iranian. uh, And in a way, you are the ultimate diaspora kid, because you spent your formative years of of schooling, both in the United States and in Iran, kind of toggling back and forth. Tell me how that exactly worked.
3: Yeah, well, my dad, he was a professor in uh, soil science, like chemistry of of the soil. So uh, since he was a student in the 60s, he always went back and forth between Iran and America. And then when he got married and he had a family, it continued. So Uh, I spent, like you said, from kindergarten, uh, then elementary school, junior high school, and then from high school, uh, all four in Iran and here. So I was going back and forth every two, two to three years. So total mix of both cultures and a lot of confusion that comes along with that.
0: Just before the confusion, what's the actual architecture of this? I mean, what does it mean? You, you, you would do like half a school year in California and then go do the second half in Iran? Or say you're in high school, what do you actually, tell, tell me what a year would look like.
3: Yeah, pretty much. I, high school, for example, my 10th grade, I pretty much, I, I finished 10th grade and then I came here for 11th and 12th grade. And uh, I would just have to kind of assimilate somehow, and it's, it's difficult. It, it was easier coming from Iran to here, uh, but going back to Iran was a difficult part because, uh, let's say, like math, right? Math classes. I was I was way more advanced in math in Iran than when I came here. To the point that when I came here in the tenth grade, I was pretty much grad graduated from high school. I had like there was nothing. I was just taking AP classes, and then. Outside of that, I was taking, um, like I don't know, photography, theater, those kind of classes just to fill up my hours because I didn't need school. But going from here to Iran, let's say we don't have arabic here as you know uh so let's say going back from here to iran and then i haven't studied arabic for two years and i have to go to class and like do arabic it's just so difficult it's insane you know
0: it's almost like you're a social experiment you know <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> yeah. what what happens when you take a kid and put them because i mean you were born in esfahan but then you you spent the first few years of your life in the states right so much so that your first language was english and so you That's went right. you went back to iran as a little kid and learn Farsi, is that correct?
3: Yeah, 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 I did uh, I did first grade here, and then I went back to Iran, so I had to do first grade over. And I had to skip the third grade, and it's, I did my whole third grade in the summer over there. And, um, you know, it's tough, it's tough sometimes, um, but.
0: Well, you know. primary school, or, or public school, or high school for that matter, uh, can be pretty intimidating as it is. So then you're going back and forth And you don't always know the language as well. You're behind in some ways, ahead in other ways. Um, Obviously, it would have been confusing, but also intimidating. Did you ever feel like, I just don't fit in in either place?
3: Yeah, I kind of felt like that in both countries. uh, Because I was a foreign kid when I went to Iran. I was a foreign kid when I came back here. So that whole identity crisis of who am I, where am I from, what's to deal with this stuff. And sometimes when you're a kid, you don't, you can, you don't look at these things in depth. So um, you just kind of ride along. But, you know, it was definitely tough.
0: What, what was your way of, you see, ride along? I mean, what was your way of dealing with that? You know, One of the ways I dealt with it uh, was to be angry at my parents. You know, I was sort of like, hey, why did you bring me to this place where people think I'm a terrorist or whatever? You know, I, I, I was too young to really have the consciousness around uh, what was going on. And in fact, this would be something that I would love later in life, this dual cultural experience and all that. But as a kid, it's how did you react to that?
3: To me, it was just like, "Oh, this is what it is." Maybe this is just what life is. I didn't know that, you know, there's another way because that's just what I was used to from uh, my, from from the time my, from my first memories on. So this is just life, and that's how it is, and that's what I have to do to get over it. And um, yeah, that's what I dealt with it.
0: So when you're ten years old, and another kid says to you, "Hey, Arfon, where are you from?" What do you say?
3: Um here or there <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's so interesting <laughs> Well,
3: in, Iran, in some ways it was more simple because like okay easy i'm iranian i just came back from america i lived there and like my friends and people around me knew that but um coming here every time i came back it'd be kind of difficult to explain that okay no i'm i'm, I'm american i i went to school here um i was here but then at the same time you come back and then you have an accent you haven't really spoken english in a few years um i definitely f- felt more like a foreign kid here than in iran but at the same time over there i kind of felt the difference between me and the kids and you know what i was used to seeing in school you know school's mixed here over there it's not schools are definitely more uh, up to date like well, i remember when i went back to iran for the first grade i went to the school i'm like oh these benches in class look like shit like what is this and uh, I'm like, Mom, where's the library? She's like, they don't have a library in this school. <laughs> <laughs> and just, uh, you know, stuff like that.
0: Where, where were you in Iran when, when you were going back? Were you in, in Tehran or Esfahan or wh- where was it?
3: I was in Esfahan. My dad's from Esfahan and my mom's from Tehran. So I spent quite a lot of time in Tehran too. Um, I was closer to my mom's family in the Tehrani side. Um, but going to school in Esfahan because my dad, that's where he taught it, in the u- university. So we would go back there.
0: So this geographical duality translates inevitably into this weird cultural duality, too, where on the one hand, I mean, I've read that um, uh, you were a big fan of Kurt Cobain. You know, Nirvana, he was one of your heroes. Um, definitely mm-hmm. not something that would have been pumping out of the speakers in Mashhad, right? But, um, <laughs> but, but then you, you're also at the same time as a kid falling in love with Persian poetry. Tell me about that.
3: Yeah, the Persian poetry actually happened. One of the reasons, I, when I was I was learning Farsi when I was like seven, eight, I, I mean, you're a kid, you learn quick, right? So obviously, I picked up on Farsi pretty quick when I went back. But then for my, what was I believe it was my ninth birthday, I got a book of Sadi as a gift. And I, start, I, I read a lot when I was a kid. I love books. One of the things that you mentioned about like coping or what did you do was just like I read a lot, um, all kinds from fiction to Jules Verne's to... Poetry, history, like, you know, fiction, whatever, whatever that seemed interesting to me. But then uh, the poetry really got to me, especially Saadi. He's an easier poet to understand compared to, let's say, like Molana, Rumi. Uh, at nine years old, you're not going to understand anything about Rumi, right? Mm-hmm. But Um uh, had stories. He had funny stuff. He had jokes. And he has these things called hekayat. So like, there's a piece of, uh, he, there's a poem. But before each poem, he had like a little hekayat, which is like, a little paragraph story he says a story and then he writes a poem about it and that was like super cool to me and i fell in love with the language and the usage of words and the pictures they draw in your head um so i just got really interested i'm like so who else is writing poetry and then i got into the more difficult stuff and more complicated things and uh got to omar khayyam which became my favorite and still is my favorite i was going to ask you why
0: he's your favorite
3: He's my favorite because um, I think he, he writes in this style of roba'i, which is like, um, it's very short. Um, it's just pretty much two lines. In Farsi, we say Mesra. Uh, it's like two bays or four Mesras, and I would just, uh, the things about life and death that he talks about, and he basically, let me put it this way. Rumi, there's like, you read two, three pages of one poem, And at the end it says something that blows your mind you're like whoa like you know i read all this and there was a point to it that i get now and that's crazy he says these really big things really important thing that's important to everybody it's mostly focused on life and death and living in the now and he does it in such a small like you know it's a small piece of writing that it blew me away and i thought like wow this guy wrote these things 800 years ago I'm reading it now, it's exactly how I feel, and it's so relatable, you know, sometimes uh, maybe Rumi or Hafez was not as relatable to everyday things in, in life that we go through and people think about. And that whole message of life and death and living in the now, like we're not going to be here forever, of Chaya, changed my life and was one of the reasons that got me thinking about death and got me to uh, be interested in writing and wanting to leave something in behind. You know, because I'm like, okay, he wrote this stuff 800 years ago, and I read it right now, and if it's like he wrote it today. I want that. I want that when I'm gone. So many people came before us. So many people are going to come after us with no mention, nothing left of them. Um, what's going inside me, I want it to be here, and I want people to relate to it and, you know, know that I was I, I was here. So yeah.
0: You know, I have to say, it's um – Again maybe this won't seem like a surprise or, or something that even even that interesting to a, a lot of Iranians or people of Iranian descent in the diaspora but um, it's still interesting to me to hear people like you talk about being a kid getting into these poets, these sophisticated poets. I mean, as as someone who grew up in London and Toronto, um, it, it, it would, I mean, it's not like we didn't have kids in, in, in class, certain classes who were really into reading and poetry and, uh, you know, there'd be the sort of uh, one kid who'd be immersed in that stuff even from a young age. But it would be inconceivable to think that most kids are reading Rumi or Omar, Omar Khayyam <laughs> at 10 years old. That's a very uniquely or interesting Persian thing. And I wonder how, when you were consuming and, and absorbing these poems, and then you would come back to American Erfan in California, um, how you would, or if you would, talk to other kids about that stuff.
3: Well, yeah, it's, I mean, I guess it's still, even, even for an Iranian or a Persian kid, it's not typical for everybody to, you know, read poetry. And, like, none of my friends were into it. Um, so i mean i i spent a lot of time playing in the street with my friends play soccer on my bike but then i really liked to read when i got home and it wasn't something that it was like that's part of like me being alone because i went back and forth so much in some ways i felt like misunderstood in both countries so um it's it's one of those things that i kind of kept to myself and i just it was my time you know is my alone time and what i was interested to and what i was into more so than something that me and my friends were doing or talking about.
0: I don't want to zip ahead too far because um, I'm enjoying this, the the, the journey of Airfawn. Uh, but but when you talk about not fitting in or wondering where you fit in, when when did you or or have you uh, decided to, you fit in somewhere now? When when was the <laughs> point where that changed for you?
3: That I fit in? That I felt like I fit in? Yeah. It never happened. <laughs> um, but, I mean.
0: Like you're still not I, sure. I, you're still not sure if you fit in in either country, you mean? or
3: Yeah, I mean, I fit in Yeah, The last time I was in Iran was in 1998, May 27th. Uh, but as I started to write my own lyrics and kind of talking about my story, whether it's about the diaspora or personal feelings and, you know, whatever I wrote about, and then – I put it out there in the world, and let me let me take a step back. Like, there's a lot of things that I like to talk about and I'm into, but I just, I be, when I'm when I'm around people, I feel like okay, that's not a subject of interest to most people maybe in the conversation, so I don't talk about th- those things. I kind of dumb it down and talk about things that everybody's talking about, and you know, so that happens. But then, um, the most honest I can be about who I am and my feelings is when I write. I just have no limits, no borders. I talk about. Th- anything and everything that i want to right so once i did that and i put it out there in the world and people responded to it that's what i felt like you feel like okay if people are getting my most personal feelings and they're understanding it to the point that they're becoming a fan of my music and they're kind of idolizing it okay then no uh, there's a there's a connection here between me and people
0: well it's amazing because you become the product of the duality of those influences. I mean, not a lot of guys can claim to have been influenced as a kid by Tupac and Hayam. They, do, they don't usually go to, <laughs> yeah. go together in a sense. You must have wondered where exactly you fit in with those kinds of vastly different creative sources. When did you realize, or did you, was it even a conscious thing, that you were becoming a fusion of those, those two worlds in, in terms of the art that you were going to create?
2: It, it,
3: yeah, it happened years later. That happened years later, um and now maybe when I was a kid I didn't like the fact of going back and forth so much and I didn't like it. But now, like everything all the you know, every bad thing that happens in your life, every tough thing that happens in your life, at the time it's shitty, but later on you realize like, okay, I you know, I learned a lot from that and that changed me. That made me tougher, that made me more um I kinda sometimes I feel like I'm a chameleon. Um, i have no fear of just going to any country starting over right now starting a new field new job nothing like i don't have fear of anything and
0: that comes from my background and um wait what what do you mean so if you so what what, what, (laughs) so if they (laughs) right if right now you were told you 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 have to go to argentina and start over you that would be you'd be okay with that
2: yeah,
3: yeah, I'm okay with that. Sometimes I, I strive for it. I, I want to do it, you know. Like something, my friends are like come, on, come on, like chill. Like I'm like I want to go live in, you know, maybe I like Spain. You know, it's interesting. Go. They're like, dude, shut up, just chill, relax. <laughs> You're good. You don't have to like.
0: Do but you that. still want to be Airborne um, with your legacy and your albums and all that, or or would you be cool with, if all that was taken away? No,
3: no, no. I mean, that's that's a big part of my life. I spent the past 20 years of my life to that. So I don't want that to go away, but I okay. mean more in the sense of a lot okay. of people um, they like stability and they like to getting in the rhythm of something and staying there. But I have no fear of you know losing that rhythm and starting something new. So even if I would go to Argentina, I would still continue to do my music. But I'm not afraid of, about the unknown of what Argentina is and its old new land because I've lived in so many different countries and cities you. and places that's just like every the whole world is like, you know, I would say it's the same to me, but it's, it's just another place to live. I actually that's, that's how I, I, I completely
0: is. understand and relate. I want to actually see if I can deconstruct this, to go from the those influences of Tupac and Chayam mm-hmm. to what you become as a hip-hop artist and a, and a rapper, because it's so fascinating. Persian hip-hop yeah. did not really exist when you were a teenager, which, by the way, wasn't that long ago. I mean, 20 years ago, there's no such thing. You're considered one of the yeah. pioneers of the genre, the, along with artists like Hichkas or Zed Bazi. How is it that you could could even conceive of something that had not been done. I mean, did it feel strange or somehow odd when you first started rapping in Farsi? Was there part of you that sort of thought, "Can I do this? Is this uh, is this allowed? Is this weird? Is oh, this going to be accepted?"
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a world of doubt, and you know, uh, there's fear of getting into something new always. And so I was writing poetry, and it was all self-reflection, right? And, but then I also loved music. I grew up on, like, rock and grunge, and then I got into rap. And Tupac was a huge influence because listening to Tupac as a foreign kid, as an immigrant kid here, um, gave me strength and power. Like, the way Tupac uh, basically talked about himself and his life and like, about the hood. Like, I never lived in the hood, but I listened to it, and, like, I saw it like it was day. You know, I I saw everything that happened because of his words and the emotion that was behind the things that he was saying. There was other rappers talking about the hood, like gangster rap and this that, But the emotion wasn't there. You know what I mean? But the emotion that Tupac had made me feel like, okay, and you could get through everything. And then I'm like, okay, I want to do that. I want to do that for other kids. And I want to do that for Iran and and, and, uh, for Farsi speakers, because I had gone so much from. Iran and the Farsi language and the Iranian poetry. So I'm like, let's mix these things up. And I just, you know, started doing it.
0: Do you remember the first time you did that?
3: The first, Yeah, I remember the first, first rap that I wrote. I remember, and I told one of my good friends, like uh, Nima and my brother Adele, um, I told them that this is pretty cool. Um, and I recorded it on the beat of Mob Deep Shook Ones in my room <laughs> on that beat. And the laptop that had a broken microphone, I had to like get on the ground and like scream into the laptop and just started doing it like that. And, um, you know, I got, I got motivation from a few really good friends.
0: And What uh, happened when you listen back?
3: When I listen, I don't have that. I wish I had that song. I have no idea where it is. But like when I listen to my first songs right now, I mean, it really takes back. It's an emotional journey when I listen to it, kind of like I think about the past, let's say, 17 years since I got, since I started doing it seriously.
0: So let me get something out of the way, which is that, you know, when I first heard some Persian hip-hop,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I, I don't want to throw anybody, any artists under the bus. Some of it, not all, it, some of it sounded like, to me, like Iranian guys adopting popular hip-hop beats and song riffs, American riffs and beats and, and even melodies, and just rapping over them, but this time in Farsi. So like, let's take uh, 50 Cent and just rap in Farsi. It didn't feel entirely inventive in some cases. How do you react to me saying totally. that?
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, but then when I, uh, I think me and the first guys, like, like they came out, we, we were kind of writing and doing it at the same time, but some of their music came before me, and when that happened, I'm like, whoa, there's other people rapping in Farsi too, but at the same time, I was a lot more, I wasn't as easy going as now, and, I thought, and I'm like, what the fuck is this, like, they're not, um, it's not original, you can't just take someone else's beat rapping with the same flow and melodies as them about the same subject this is a translation this uh, of this uh, this is not you know original music and um also i was lyrics were very important to me and what you say and some lyrics like sounded funny to me like oh that's cheap you know um so that was my reaction and kind of when my song came out and people responded like whoa like that's what happened i put a song out called uh when Shostache came out, I think it was it was a lyrical song. It was original music by producers that I had. I looked for six months to find a producer who would work with me, that I could afford. And when I got the response from that, I'm like, okay, then I'm on the right track. I'm doing the right thing. And I'm a very momentum-driven person. Uh, so motivation, like when I have a momentum, like it I just like I just uh, it, it takes over my life, you know. So I just you know started happening.
0: Let me play some of your earlier work. This is a. This is a song that became quite big for you at the beginning of your recording career. Uh, let's
2: play a little taste of Hateman. man, <laughs>
0: that's khata man from airfan's debut album in 2007 as khanetagur airfan tell me tell me what you remember about creating that song
3: well this song is actually a pretty interesting story um um, when I released that for I'm not a superstitious person by any means, uh, but some things the way they happen is just amazing. So I had a best friend in junior high before moving back to Iran. That's when I lived in Northern California. I live in Sacramento, and his name was Amir. Uh, he went his separate ways. I went back to Iran, He stayed here, We lost contact, you know, there was no like Facebook and internet like you know social media to keep in con- keep in touch with people back then. So I come back to America, Southern California. I start writing. I, the first song that I released, shows my space was hot back then. So I put that song on my space. <laughs> so maybe a few days after my song came out, I get a message from this guy. who says like, are you so-and-so? And he went to so and such school in Sacramento. I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, it's you? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, bro, I produce. I have a studio in LA um, and I've been producing for a few years now. Like we should get together. I'm like, that's amazing. My best friend from back then today I'm a rapper now. He's wow. a really good producer. So we got together and he started like playing beats for me, producing music for me and this is one of the songs that he sent me and I loved it right off the bat. And I was working. I was doing loans back then. I was like in in the mortgage business and at the same time I was rapping. <laughs> so one day after work, like when uh, some of my friends were still there on the office making calls, I went to someone else's office and I just, you know, started writing this beat and then, you know, recorded it. It came out, ended up being, it's still probably to this day, this is a song that everybody knows me by. Like, that's, that was my breakout song to the mainstream
0: and yep. to, like, you know, um, yeah. How surprised were you when um, w- when mortgage broker Airphone <laughs> 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 uh, scores a hit? I, I mean, how surprised were you w- with how quickly this, uh, albeit in a sub-genre way of the, of the, you know, in terms of Iranian culture and music, it, it's so new and so different that it got the traction that it did?
3: Um, well it was just it it was was a very surreal feeling when because I obviously I wasn't going back to Iran so I would just hear stories from people how how everybody's playing in the streets at parties different cities and I was just like wow that's crazy so we made a music video for it and then the music video got really big and um, you know and then Facebook happened and through Facebook, at some point, I realized that like so many people, Poydar is my music name. It's the name of my music family, um, and so many people on Facebook had their last names as Poydar at some point. And I was just like, I don't know, what do you do when you're like a kid in his early twenties, mid twenties, and like that happens? I was just, I was amazed, and I just felt like a responsibility. And again, it it kind of was like fuel in my fire, and it just you know expanded more
0: with I mean with apologies to anybody listening who thinks this is an extremely naive question, but i I wasn't in Iran in, in, in two thousand and seven how does how does a song like Khatiman and the video i'm I, I'm assuming it's not legal or it, it's not being pumped on radio stations at that time in Iran. so how are people accessing it at that time?
3: oh there you go that's that's a that's a really good point because it's not our songs don't get played on the radio on the national TV and stuff like that so the internet really helped uh, and people back then, especially the whole Bluetooth thing came through and people like sharing songs through Bluetooth and um, just kind of it's a grassroots thing. People sharing it with each other and also satellite TV, there was satellite music channels yeah. like PMC and they would play the music videos and everybody would watch that, you know, rather than the Iranian national TV. So that, that definitely also helped. And, you know,
0: was I mean, you must have been shocked it. when you started getting figuring out that there's kids listening to this stuff in Tabriz or, or, or Shiraz or whatever, right? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah.
0: So in the Khateman video you mentioned, you're wearing this oversized Tupac shirt, T-shirt. Um, sure. And I was watching it, and again, this question comes up of, okay, where the, where the music comes from and who we are. And talk to me about walking the line between adopting sounds that you love and appropriating African-American music, for example? I know you must have thought about this. Where do you come down on that?
3: Sure, sure. Uh, well, I to me, the, the way I felt, I think is the most important thing uh, of how you feel when you're doing something. And to me, it was love. It was a love for Tupac and it was love for hip hop music. We grew up on it, right? Um, and at the same time, I was Putting that music out through my filter, so I wasn't basically talking about what American rappers are talking about per se. You know, I was talking about I was saying my story. I was talking about my story, but through that filter, and because I learned from it, right? I was inspired by it, and I don't really think of it as uh, appropriation. Sometimes, and it's a big conversation that's been going on the past few years about some things, and. Uh, I personally think some of it makes sense and some of it doesn't make sense to me, at least. You know, like I don't know hoop earrings or you know stuff like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, to me, I I feel like I'm just giving something back to my people uh, through my filter. And there's definitely, if you, I mean, if you translate the lyrics, it has nothing to do with uh, Tupac lyrics and they're his story or like or any other rapper. It's Afonso's story. It's what I saw. It's a, it's, a, it's an Iranian immigrant story. You know what I mean? It's not a Tupac in the hood story.
0: The other conversation that happens and has been happening in recent years, and it's the same one that people have about punk rock too, but they certainly have it about hip hop, is to say that hip hop artists, this is not Iranian hip hop artists, but Mm -hmm. in general have lost their way in terms of where it originally came from. You know, something that that was the poetry of the street when it emerged in the late 70s and early 80s in New York has become this thing about sort of bling and, and whatever, you know. Uh, sure. that, uh, and, and it really is more like pop in many cases now. Do you feel like Persian hip-hop is about the street or... Is it more the the domain? I mean, with exceptions, of course, of, of middle class or upper middle class Persian kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, which is which is fair too. Um, have you reflected on that? Is there a class dimension to to Persian hip hop that is different from uh, where hip hop would have started in America?
3: Yeah, I think there's there's definitely something about that. But I uh, and a lot of people are like are like. Try to put hip hop in a box as far as like what it should be about. Hip hop should be about politics, should be about the streets, or, and oh, then yeah. like it shouldn't be about like mainstream or like partying or cars and stuff like that. I'm like, you know what? It's just like a style of expression to me. That's what it is. Even if you go back in the old school days, there was like hip hop is like they said there's hip hop, heavy there was that, and then there was Public Enemy, right? There was like right. even different styles of hip hop from the, from the very beginning. It wasn't every, but uh, so this. On the same note, I think the Persian hip hop game, Iranian hip hop game, um, some people want to say that it should be about this or it should be about struggle. Right. I don't believe that. I think even though I don't support you know the other stuff and I don't like it, I don't listen to it. It's not, but i I think everybody should have the right to express themselves however they want about whatever issue and subject they want you know if you don't like it don't listen to it some people think oh hip hop's dying this is ruining the culture or something like that no there's both both sides still exist they're doing their thing you know if someone's
0: wait 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 wait. somebody said that about Persian hip hop that it's ruining the culture or that it's a
3: yeah 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 that's still going on a lot of people say like you know the whole like back in my day thing or back in the day thing that exists about everything (laughs) Um, it exists about Persian hip hop too right now and people say um maybe the original rappers which is like man i'm one of them so what they say supports what i do but still i think like even the people that are doing it right now and i think they're doing it wrong like for example as far as um it might not sound like the rap that i want to listen to but i they should have the right to do it and I, I funny, think it's it's, me, it's, yeah.
0: it's so funny how that how quickly that can happen. Like it's only been fifteen <laughs> or twenty years. But I actually <laughs> talked to a young hip hop guy um here in Canada, you know, a couple of days ago before this interview, and I was asking him about you, you know? And mm-hmm. he, he's like twenty one and he was like, Yeah, man, I love the old school airfond hitchcast, <laughs> but what it's become and I'm like, Wow, how quickly <laughs> did that happen? It's all like it's like he's talking about you as if you're like, you know, seventy years old and now there's the a new school <laughs> Stuff you know, but you know I, but what
3: it is, Jan. I mean, a, a big part of it is that people want the whole world and art included to revolve around what they want and their taste, and that's a big problem with anything, right? So, if someone, I have, I, i, I there's a lot of rappers that from old school to new school that they stick to one subject and they can only rap about one thing. Right. So now that could have two reasons. One could be that they're one dimensional; they they don't think about anything else really that they want to write about. The other thing is that maybe that song or the songs they did initially work for them. So they're like, OK, I'm just going to stick to this lane. And I'm just going to keep doing this thing over and over. And sometimes people like that. Like me, I talk about all kinds. Of, if I, I want to talk about love, I'll talk about love. I want to talk about my struggles. I want to talk about my uh, being an immigrant. I want to talk about politics, whatever. Because I really do think about all these things and they're all emotions to me. So why shouldn't I write about them, right? So what's that done to my career, my fans are that I have been split fans between the different songs that I did. They're all big songs with a lot of followers, but some people like the airphone that talks about depressing shit, some people like it when I'm angry, some people like my political songs, some people like about like let's say you could call it party songs or whatever. And they want to be Nazis about it and say that, no, you should do this one because I like it more. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's kind of, um, so that's what's happening.
0: Let me, let me continue on this musical journey of Airfunk. By 2010, you put out your second major album, Hamishagi. Uh, I want to play a popular song. I don't know if you're sick of this song, but it's always been one of my favorites. So I want to play a <laughs> bit of Dobare. Uh, let's take a listen to this. سنماریز روحیام منم حرف سنپاین روحیام من نگفتم تو مسیر خوبی گردم از صوفیام نه سفیر
2: رومیام از جون میگم تو این را میدم حالا دو پر ندا به رومیدم حوری بود میو به اون سو میرن هر چه نونشون جوره از اون رو میگن پس زور بگم میگم تو کور بشن دست دور بدم از فگن گوش ندم بکن تو کور من چشخ خون من هیچ کس صوفی نمیشه زد نور من به شور
0: that's Dobare from twenty ten, Airfon. So around this time, Airfon, you relocate to Dubai for four years. What was that about?
3: Well, I went to Dubai for the first time for a show, at a concert. And then around the same time, um, there was this uh, young artist that I started working with named Bezad Leito who is uh, you know, pretty big in the Iranian rap game now. Sure. So Bezad was telling me, he, had, he hadn't even released any songs. He was kind of like, a, you know, he listened to my music. He really liked me. And uh, we're in touch uh, on that note. And he's like, come here. Dubai's really cool. There's a lot of opportunities to do things. And he went, I'm like, well, if you think there are opportunities, go find some people and let's make a music video. Let's do some stuff. You know, you know, people there, you live there, you have the connections. So he went and uh, he talked to some guy. Um, we connect. I talked, to, I talked to that guy when I got to Dubai. We had a couple of meetings and he's like, let's make a studio together. You have the power, you have the artist, you have the fame, you know, the music side. I'll be an investor. I'll do the business side, and I'll I'll be the big bank for it. You know, I'm like awesome. That sounds cool. I've, I've, I've always wanted to do something like that. So I ended up, you know, after the show, I came back here. A Month and a half later, I packed my bags and put some stuff in storage and just moved to Dubai. With, you like, did the Argentina cases. thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like That's okay, what I mean. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly.
3: I was like, whatever. Let's do that. It's something new. So. um I moved to Dubai, we started a label, we started a music studio, but after a while, things just weren't going as planned, and there were some clashes between me and that guy, and um, so the whole thing got put on pause, but I stayed in Dubai for another few years, so I lived there from 2000 to 2014, doing various different things. I worked at a TV channel, Um, then I got into real estate towards the end, before moving back to Los Angeles. And I lived in Malaysia at some point in between. I I moved to Malaysia for three, four months. I didn't like it. Um, uh, It happened through my job. And I went there, I told my boss, you know what, I don't like it here. It's it's not my thing. So I moved back to Dubai and anyway, here we are today.
0: So there's a couple of things I want to ask you about there. First of all, when you say I was doing some real estate and all that, I always find this shocking. You're one of the biggest hip hop artists in Iranian history your videos even by 2010 around that time are getting tons of views you're you're, uh, you're you must add I guess Do we have streams in 2010 we didn't have something like Spotify but you must have been selling a lot no. of records um, so t- is this is, is that to say that you couldn't make this a hundred percent your career yet at that point
3: well oh, absolutely because it's not we were, I wasn't selling a lot of records people download stuff right in Iran, who's, I mean, when 95% of your fans, let's oh. say 90% of your fans are in Iran, right? and you can't sell any songs there, you can't do any shows there, you can't partner with anybody for any businesses there, you can't do any merch there, merch- selling merchandise, what do you do? How are you making your money, right? So I always did other jobs from like financial stuff, like I was in the mortgage industry, and then, but at the same time in my 20s, the struggle was that when I focused on that and I made like decent money, Then my music suffered, right? So then I would save up money for a while, and then I would get back into my emotional zone, tap into myself, make really good music, but then my making money side would suffer. You know, I I couldn't do business. I couldn't mix them up together. It's something that I learned, and I'm better at it now. In my 30s, like, I learned how to do that. But back then, it was a struggle. So, no, I wasn't making good money, and I wasn't doing good financially at all when I was in Dubai. Doing those things, and I had to have other jobs.
0: People who regularly listen to Rook at this point might be tired of, already of me saying this, but I just find that really <laughs> heartbreaking because it's the same story as Hamed Nikpay or Ali Azimi, people we've had on the show, who, who you know, you've got this huge fan base, and you mm-hmm. can't even get the support to continue doing the craft that's created the fan base because, uh, because you can't get a direct access to them. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking, I find.
3: It is. And and then not only that, but then your fans and the people break your heart, too, by saying that, you know, always, the, the the issue that I had compared to rappers living in Iran, a lot of people in Iran, because they haven't been on the outside, they haven't lived on the o- outside of Iran, they think once you leave, everything's beautiful. Money starts pouring in, you mansion, Mercedes, you know, all those things. And that's just not true for us who, who lived here and we've struggled. That's just not the case. So... For them, they always thought, I have it easier as an Iranian rapper on the outside, or I must be really rich, or my father is rich, and he's paying for my like, career. And he, when in, in reality, I was working my ass off, like you know, 80 hours a week, making money, and then I would spend my money to make a really good music video. And people, instead of saying, wow, you hustled, man, you did a good job, they're like, oh, well, you live there, it's easy. When in reality, the rappers who were in Iran and had a name, music was free for, they lived in their parents' house, they didn't have rent, (laughs) like, studios are free for people who are famous in Iran that they're rapping there, you know what I mean, and that wasn't the case for me, and that was always, like, a very annoying thing that pissed me off, and, you know, it still goes on to this day, and another point that I want to make about this subject is, for some reason, that this doesn't happen in, like, you don't see under Jay-Z's, like, Instagram or Drake's Instagram, you have money, you're comfortable, you don't see, like, American fans saying that you're being rich or making money is not a bad thing here. People no. like free, They're like, "No, awesome! He did it. He killed it. He made Especially it." Especially in hip hop, Iran- it's seen as yeah. a
0: as a validation. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: for sure. But with Iranian people, like success—if you're success, if you make money or something like that—they're just like they 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 want to put you down or like you know talk shit about you or say like, "Oh, he has it easy," or like you know, kind of uh, not recognize the things that you've done for the music and for yourself and for your life, more importantly.
0: Why do you think that is?
3: I think it's just lack of knowledge. They just don't know. You know, they just. I, and I also think, as as growing up in Iran, like what what is America about? You could be whoever you want. You could make it. You could make it really big. Um, like same thing in Japan. Like Japanese culture is really big. As like you know, if you focus, you dedicate yourself to your work and your life. You do this and do that, and you become you you do become successful. Then you give back to your country to your people. But Iran, we just we're not taught that as, 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 chi- as children. and it's, just, it's a struggle for me to get through to my fans and the, the youth sometimes and tell them like, dude, you could be anything you want. Like you could do this. I say like the longest uh, speech about it. you can be anything that you want. if you, you, you focus on it, you dedicate your time to it, not be lazy. You can make things happen even in Iran. They're like, "Oh no, you don't. You don't live here." You
0: can know? they be anything they want? Is that really true? Can Can a kid growing up in Iran right now be Airphone if he wants to be? To a certain
3: extent, you know. To a certain extent, depends. But I I, I noticed the differences, right? If you live in America, like like you don't have any filter and you can do this and that, but it's not so black and white. Is my point? It's not that over there it's impossible. You can't do anything, but over here you can. There's multiple artists from my generation that. You know, didn't really have anything, financial backing in Iran. They made it big in Iran. They moved out and they made a career and a life for themselves outside of Iran, right? Mm. If you want to do that. But my point's not even just about music, about other things in life. In Iran, if, I'm saying if Nelson Mandela lived in South Africa right. and from a village right. and he became Nelson Mandela, you should shut the fuck up and not complain all the time. And just at least try, you know, not just say, I'm not going to do anything because I have no way out. That's right, the thing. Right. So, Maybe I should have, in short, this is what I want to say, is like the way to deal with your situation is not to say I don't have a way out and so I'm just not going to do anything about it. You should still struggle and have hope and you know, uh, go after the things that you want and you, you'll you make your life better, right? Do you agree with this part at least, that you could have a better life than what you, you have right now if I you work that, hard? I, th-
0: I think that Nelson yeah. Mandela is a great example. But you, you've also yeah. said, Erfan, you, you said in a recent interview that Iranian youth, from your, your standpoint, don't believe in themselves these days. You said that with some, yeah. some sadness. W- what does that mean to you?
3: Um, they just don't think anything will ever get better because especially the people like they've never. Um, let's say you live in a country and since you were born, everything is just always getting worse. Right. In the sense of it, like at least economically, things are always getting worse. Your money is losing value. Um, your relation with other countries are getting worse and, um, you know, so it's 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 kind of easy to not have that much hope, you know, and so that's why in the past few years, I've tried to kind of make that the message of some of my music, just positivity and you can do it. And I have gotten a response from that, you know, I get messages from people like, oh, I, you told me to do what I believe in. I became a doctor, I became an engineer, I became an artist, I became, a, you know, whatever it is that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I love that. But at the same time, like seeing when I put something really positive out there and I see the no hope messages, there's nothing out there for me, it just is heartbreaking.
0: How much of what you Want to do? I mean, uh, having been one of the pioneers, I, I don't know how much of an uh, honor it is for you to to be called the you know the Godfather of, uh, or the or the pioneer of Persian hip hop. But but you know, you talk about that Dubai time and starting your own label. And I was actually going to bring up Besad Leto because I know he suggests that you are one of his inspirations for getting into the genre. How much mm-hmm. has your career become about? wanting to foster an iranian musical community at this point wanting to build this thing for others
3: well it's a big part of what i even dreamed of from before because uh, in some sense i feel like i'm realistic about the fact that i'm not always going to be around and uh, you know any artist in any country any language they have ups and downs and they have the times that overall is considered their better records or like their golden time and golden age and stuff like that so um, even aside I just always wanted to kind of nurture other artists around me and that's why I started Pydar and I wanted to have other artists around. I feel like I'm capable of doing more than just make my own music. I'm capable of making music for other people and at the same time support other musicians to kind of become their own versions of me. Not not me, but like their own versions. So that's why I made Pydar and I made sure whatever artist, whoever joins, Yeah, full artistic freedom as far as style. I don't say like, oh, if you don't rap about politics, you can't be in my label. You know, you could make fun music, you could make sad music, whatever you want to do. Be you, but, you know, be the best that you are. And so that's why I started Paira and I started nurturing it throughout the years. There's been multiple artists that were members and still are that are working and have become successful. Besa is one of them. Let's say Sogan was another artist. And like Ali Jidal. Now we have Iman. There's Taham. There's Paya. Sakesh.
0: You know, on the note of uh, by the way, I think that's fantastic that you're creating that space and and you've helped do that uh, in terms of that connection to the majority of that audience that happened to be not necessarily in the diaspora but in Iran, uh, mm-hmm. I, I was reading in a book that you were described as an Iranian rapper in exile. are Are you in exile? I mean technically or, or are you an iranian American who cannot currently visit Iran? What is your status in terms of you and, and in mean- Iran?
3: C- correct me if if I'm wrong, but when you're in exile, they kind of you don't give you a choice, right? You don't have a choice; you have to leave. Um, but I was that didn't happen. When I left Iran, I didn't leave Iran because of music. It kind of happened uh, after I left. I started doing music, and so it was by choice. I mean, it sucks; it's horrible that I can't go back. Why? And I I realized what that means when I talk to like an American person. I will tell them I can't go back to Iran because they're rap. They're like, "What are you talking about? How's that even possible?" Right and uh and it's not the fact that i can't go back to iran but i can't leave iran when i go back and i'll get in trouble when i go there um so i don't think i mean is, is, is yeah.
0: rap and hip-hop uh outlawed in iran or does it depend on the lyrics or what 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 is the technical issue with rap
3: there's no um it's just not recognized there's no law that says rap is illegal for example uh, it's just not recognized and like there's people who have tried to get um they call it Mojavez but the, you know, so they could do it legally. The permit to make music, um, no one's ever gotten it. They don't give it to you, no matter what. Even if you just do love songs, even if you you know don't say anything political, anything about social issues, they just, just no one gets it. You're not, you can't rap legally. You can, yeah. Wow. Like let's say. So if you wrote a
0: if you wrote a rap song lauding like celebrating the Iranian government, would, uh-huh. would, like a hip hop celebration of the of the regime, would that would that get aired or? I just what well, I'm wondering I mean, if it's by genre <laughs> or by, by lyric, you know? I'm so frustrated hearing stories about censorship that I, I uh, and I know that it's impossible to, to deconstruct this in any sort of logical way sure. sometimes because it's just whimsical. But I, I'm very curious, you know, what it actually means.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even there are rappers who, they don't have the permit, they're not legally doing music, but they secretly get support. and they try to make them big. Let's say there's some guy named Hamid Safat and his music, I mean, is like pretty much uh, supportive of the situation and everything over there that happens. Right. And sometimes they go on these trips to these, like, um, like Karbala and they go to like war zones and stuff like that to have that, they, they have like, um, they keep that persona, right. That like supportive of like everything that's going on. Um, and even they don't get the permit, but they do what they want. No one bugs them. They don't get arrested. There's even artists who leave the country and do concerts and go back and they don't get in trouble somehow. Right. But um, so it all depends on who you know, how, how well you're connected. But as far as just being legal and doing shows, there, selling your music. It hasn't happened for anybody. And I mean, even outside of rap, let's say you're a singer, you're a pop singer, you're a classic singer. You have to take your lyrics. There's no laws about what you can and can't say. You have to put it in front of someone, some guy that who gave him the you know that position that he has the right. He reads your po- poetry, or lyrics, or whatever you want to call it. He says, "Okay, you can sing this song." The guy from Airshad, you can sing this song. Uh, it's okay. And then someone else goes and like they li- read their lyrics. Oh, you can't do this song. You know, it might even be the same lyric. It just depends how <laughs> if the guy likes you or not. And there's no written rules, and that's the fucked up part. You know, there's no like, um, yeah, there's nothing they could like go based on it. Be like, okay, if I do this. For sure, I'm going to get in.
0: So this, this brings up the notion of social commentary and, and political dialogue in some of your music. We started the interview playing a taste of Pi.E uh, from your latest album. It's a song that it has some pointed commentary sprinkled into it. How, how important is it for you to be addressing issues around what is happening in Iran or what is happening with people of Iranian descent?
3: It's very important to me. You know, Even as long as it's been since I've been back, It's one of the things that emotionally really affects me. And sometimes I don't know why. Like sometimes I'm watching like a documentary about Iran. Some guys went to Iran to eat, try Iranian food, right? And it shows a scene of just people walking in the streets of Iran. And I just burst out crying out of nowhere. I'm like, why am I crying about this? Like, why is this so emotional to me? But just like, um, and nothing sad is happening in the scene. It's just people walking in the streets. But it's just like, I'm really, I feel like deeply connected with, with Iran and its people and um so it's really important to me that you know whatever that I is on my mind i'm going to talk about it and I'll, i and i've done that even though i mentioned this to you before i I've, there's been there have been times that i'm like okay maybe i should chill chill out maybe i should calm down with the political stuff so i can go back to Iran. i miss it i really want to be there you know this is my prime that's my country i'm rapping for them why can't i go back there right but then something else goes down i'm like you know what fuck it like i'm like not saying anything about this and
0: um Wait, wait 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 a second. You you see something. You see a video or an image of, of the streets of of Iran and people walking outside a cafe or something, and you start to cry.
3: Yeah, tell one me, the, the, one of the rare things that makes me cry is
0: that. Tell right. me what's going on there. What do you think?
3: I think just emotional. I just like I kind of I feel the connection with the people, especially or like. Especially when it's young people or if I see like people in the university, you know When I'm like a university students walking around or something like that, and it's happened like so often to me and I think it's the whole part of um, and I'm, I'm very open about talking about like these things I'm not afraid to talk about something made me cry um I watched a, like a movie I watched um it just kind of reminds me of the story of like what's happened to us as Iranians in the past few years it, it hits me immediately and it just it's a, it's a very emotional thing for me um yeah are you crying do
0: you think because you're sad for them or you're sad that you're not there or just a a general um
3: it's about the iranian story it's about the iranian story that's what makes me cry like you know i don't know if you've seen a movie called uh paris police by marijana of course
0: of course i think it's outstanding it's outstanding yeah that on, movie, again, I'm book.
3: not. A, yeah. i going to make this clear. I'm not, I'm not a person who goes to movies and cries. I've never cried in any movie before. I went to the movie <laughs> Too late. Theater. Too late,
0: man. You're. You're. Uh, we I'm will forever person. see you <laughs> as a guy crying in the theaters. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> um,
3: I went and saw release in the movie theaters years ago when it came out. Second, that movie really had me fucked up because it's. It's. It was like maybe a generation or two before me. Her story, but it was exactly my story and so many other people's story. And yeah. that movie was like. That. I think that. The perfect Iranian diaspora movie and talking about our situation and what happened in our country and us as immigrants and the reason for us migrating outside, you know, so um, imagine a satrapy. Yeah. So, yeah. So these things, I mean, it's just I think it's the Iranian story.
0: I've always said basically. if you want to understand the, the Iranian revolution or the Iranian story of the last uh, few decades. You don't need to go and read a textbook. Uh, you know, you could just read the the graphic novel Persepolis and then Persepolis Two, and mm-hmm. it's all there. It's 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 outstanding what she did there.
3: Amazing. You, you I'm know, glad you, you've seen it. you
0: you did talk about chilling out and doing different uh, kind of stuff that isn't so political or social issue oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me play a bit of a track that got a lot of attention and and, and some streams a couple of years ago. Uh, not some streams, a lot. This is this is what I might call an eriphon pop hit. So let's play
2: okay. a little taste of uh Khube. <laughs> آره، انگا قف شدم سر جای پاه، یه قدم میرم جلو، یه قدم عقب، یه هفتس میرم تا صبح یه سر شب، یه سر میدم، قول یه ذره وز میشم، بعد دو قلب، سری قلو پس میدم، بعد دوتا پک سری و بد میشم تا که بیان دو تا چخ سری تو رد میشم، نمیشم درست، مریضیام از ریشه، آه، گفتم منو قل نده، این بسوی علکی با منه فوت کده، منش میخوام ولی با تو جنگ قدرته، فرصت خالی کردن عقده حال من خوبه چرا ناراحتی حال من خوبه مگه دعوا کار معموده تو که هر چیز خوب داری حال من بوده. حال من خوبه چرا ناراحتی حال من
0: خوبه حال من خوبه فهمم ارফান حال من خوبه Try, try to get that out of, out, of like your, your, out of your head now everybody that's a, it's an infectious <laughs> song but the, you know there you are in that video lounging on a boat in the sunshine there's a lady there this is i mean this is not the socially conscious airphone now this is the fun yeah phone, right yeah
3: exactly i mean i mean it's not really the fun thing this song like it's a happy song i'm thinking i feel good but every i'm glad you played this song because every line of this song is a true story it's a fact about a previous relationship that i had with somebody and then You know what i went through and i came out of it and i'm really proud of like the things that i sang that song because it's so real you know when i listen to it i'm like damn like that's crazy how i put these things into words because every single thing is like this is one of the one of my most like literal songs ever because Hmm. every single thing in that song actually happened and it was kind of like therapy for me to write that stuff and like like i feel good now that's behind me and so i'm so why would i not say it or make this song because you or you or you want me to be angry Airfan all the time or political or fun right. all the time i'm not going to do that
0: right you know? but how how conscious are you of your consciousness i suppose you know in other <laughs> words when you put the when you finish a song like this you go okay now i gotta talk about uh, sanctions I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is too i'm having too much fun i mean really it, how, how much yeah, do yeah. you edit yourself in those situations
3: I just feel like we, the things, I, it, for me, it's a, the things, it's about my surroundings, right? Like whatever is happening around me, I take it in. Um, sometimes when I write a song, it's something like, it's a mixture of something that happened. Like last night, a story someone told me, something happened in the news, and something maybe happened 20 years ago, right? Then I put it together, it makes me write a song. So it's not, it's never, um, uh, premeditated that, okay, I'm going to sit down and write a political song. There's always a reaction to something that's happened, whether it's political or social or love Mm -hmm. song or whatever it is, it's, it's, it's a reactionary thing.
0: I know I can't keep you forever. I just got a couple more questions. I want to ask you about your impressions of the diaspora. Um, because I, I think someone like you, uh, th- my personal view is it's as valuable or more than someone, uh, than an academic or someone whose job it is to sort of uh, uh, teach us about uh, the diaspora. Because you travel, you see people of, of Iranian descent around the world who come to you for you to explore them. You know, last year yeah. you did a tour in Russia. And when I heard about this, my first reaction was. How many Iranians are there to come to Air Fon shows in Russia? But I know you had significant crowds there. So what can you tell us about those experiences?
3: Yeah, well, it was a decent sized crowds. It's definitely nothing like, like let's say Toronto or like Istanbul when there's millions, but um, uh, not millions of crowd for me. But you know, millions of Iranians right. living there. Um, but it's a different experience. Uh, sometimes when it's like a full student crowd who are who have came somewhere recently from Iran. Um, it's just the more emotional, right? Let's say I go to Istanbul, we have a packed show, some real fans come from Iran, they fly all the way from Iran and come stuff like that. But at the same time, some people are there because let's say, j- just like when you go to a Drake show here, or a Jay-Z show or whoever's concert, some people are like, oh, let's go to the Drake show tonight. But they're not like hardcore fans, right? Or with any other concert. Right. So, but when I go do a show in Budapest or in Moscow, they're all hardcore fans and they're students and the people who like know every word to every song and it's just like, it's a beautiful feeling and I feel like that's when I feel, those are the shows that I feel the most connected with Iran because that's what they are. They just came two weeks ago, last month, six months ago and they're gonna go back in two years, right? So it's just, it's, 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 it's very emotional.
0: But can I just point out how interesting this is? You, obviously you're Iranian and you, you grew up half the time there, et cetera, but you're a guy living in California they are they are in Moscow coming recently from <laughs> Iran and they savor coming to your show because it reminds them of home.
3: Yeah. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I mean a lot of artists don't go there because there's a smaller crowd or like I mean like this uh I that I shouldn't like I should change the verbiage on that. There's not there's barely any shows in Moscow, right? So when you go there and you do something like that for them, uh, it makes them very happy and it makes me very happy. And it's just crazy how the world is that, you know, Iranian, like you said, living in California, Iranians living in Moscow, both away from the country. We get together somewhere and we connect like that. And it's, it's beautiful.
0: Do you feel on some level like you have to, I mean, you are effectively in some ways an ambassador for Iranians in these situations. Uh, mm-hmm. do, do you do you feel any weight of responsibility on that? Like you're some kind of surrogate for all of us? Like if you, uh, you know, if you do something wrong or you piss off the Moscow security or something like yeah. that, it's a, it's a reflection of of Iranians because of uh, because you've been the pioneer in this genre because you're airphone, because there's people coming to see you,
3: brother. I feel that way even outside of the music. I just let's say. In, in Los Angeles, I go to the office that, you know, I, I do real estate and whatever it is that I do, anything that I do because of I'm an immigrant and I have that thing in my own subconscious mind constantly that I'm an Iranian, I'm a representative of Iran and what they think of us and what they see about us in the news. So it's like I'm always on my toes and like very focused on making sure that you know I'm a good representative and like it's just something that's with you, even when it's outside of music and outside of anything else like that, that people look up to me for, you know.
0: You know, you're an interesting guy. Before I let you go, I mean, you're you've done a lot in terms of helping to shape uh, this genre. You know, besazi, mm-hmm. achizi, You've you've done this thing, but you're still a, a, a pretty young guy. Where do you where do you feel like you're at on in, on the Airfond journey?
2: Yeah, well, um,
3: I feel like there's a lot of things that I've been working on in the past couple of years that. Uh, Maybe they're somehow related to my music, but not necessarily directly, and mm, and they're also part of my journey because I'm not again uh, my interest. Music doesn't define all my interests. There's a lot of things that I'm really deeply interested in and I'm passionate about outside of music. Music is number one, but it's like photography, cooking, I like like making clothes not with my hands, but the fact that like, I just like that that industry. I think it's cool to like you know do do that and. um, just bringing all these things together is what I've worked on the past couple of years and now it's happening and I feel like um, what do you call it I'm, I feel like in your 30s uh, there's a lot of confusion in your 20s I don't have that anymore I know exactly what I want I know what kind of music I want to make I don't care what anybody thinks about the music that I make and anything else that I do so I think it's uh, I have a long way ahead of me but this is like the easiest it's ever been to focus and kind of like know what path I want to go move, move forward
0: on you you can't tell me that you're you you can't tell me that you're into cooking without me asking what the what the best air air fun dish is then
3: (laughs) i just i don't know i like making everything man but um i i like grilling a lot you know i do a lot of that and um yeah man i just like grilling is probably my like specialty of not just making the meat but like you know marinating it keeping it and i like making um I love that. All right. I okay, that's not easy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, I was thinking, okay, his version of cooking is he, he throws a steak on the barbecue. So, so no, Bagalipolo no, is, is a little—that's <laughs> a different story.
3: <laughs> as soon as I said the grilling, I'm like, I think I'm just like a you know dad making hot dogs. That's right. The July that's cream. right. You I'm put like, your no. flip flops
0: on. You threw a you yeah. threw a steak on the Barbie, and now you're calling yourself a cook. Mm, yeah.
3: No, no, no. I do everything. Yeah.
0: So we want to go out on a song that uh, that also came out relatively. Recently called Yetchi Baynisha, and um, what what can you tell us about this song?
3: I love this song. This song, like the reason I, I was talking to my best friend Yaya, who's like a, you know, he has been my best friend for probably like seventeen years now, and he's a therapist, very deep guy, very spiritual guy, and we're just talking about the principle of duality in things, and um, and things not being so black and white with everything, and how it's there. Doesn't have to be absolute truth about anything. Um, oh, if you make money, then you can't be spiritual, or you have to let go of all anything like that you like to become like a, a Buddhist in a temple, or you can't. You know what I mean? Like, so we're just thinking about different things that, like, no, there's gray's in between. You can do both to a certain extent, and um, and pay attention to the, the surroundings of who you are, where we are in this world, and you know, s- still be true to yourself and the things that you love, and you have to act a certain way and a lot of it even became from like just on social media today a lot of times people like if they're spiritual and the conscious um they want to seem conscious then they have to dress like you don't have to dress like a hippie indian to be Mm -hmm. conscious right you don't have to you know and uh just kind of talked about duality and the second thing that i talked about and i just came together and i wrote this song that afternoon
0: it's been a real pleasure, man. I've learned from you. I've uh, laughed with you. Uh, 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 this has been really enjoyable uh, and educational, and, and um, I, I so appreciate you taking all this time.
3: Sam here, brother. Really nice talking to you, and uh, we'll be in touch.
0: Mizunba Thanks, for everybody,
3: Sheen. for tuning in.
0: Khadafiz. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, brother.
3: Bye-bye. Take good care, bro.
0: That's Erfan Paydar, an Iranian rapper, recording artist, songwriter, producer, label owner. He joined us from Los Angeles, California today from 2019. This is his song, Yechi Banisha. And this is full time for Rook. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for supporting. Thanks to our amazing team, Mizun Bashin. This time to everyone. <laughs>
2: نه خوبه نه بده نه روزه نه شبه نمونده نه, نه آره همون یه چی بینشه آها، کرم و سرد نیست و یه چی بینشه آره جز رومد نیست و یه چی بینشه آها. نه شله نه شره قله دره نه نه آره همون یه چی بینشه آه. میگم پولو بده بره سودو بده بره مادیاتو همه دود کن بده بره یا که رو بده بره قلب خوبو بده بره از انسانی ها در چه تایچ موندو بده بره میگم ترسو بده بره شکو بده بره گذاشتم بر خوده حدو بده بره حد وسط هم پولو میخوام هم روح توی یه رو میکنم من کم سفید و سیانی یه چی بینشه راستی و ریانی یه چی بینشه نه خوبه نه بده نه روزه نه شبه نه نه آره همون یه چی بینشه کم و سرد نیست و یه چی بینشه جز رومد نیست و یه چی بینشه یه
4: نه شله نه شهره نه گله نه دره نه نه آره همون یه چی بینشه یه چی بینشه یه چی بینشه به عرفان گوش نده ببین دل بده من میخواستم عرفان بر ارزون شهر وقتی رسیدم بهت بگی زلزله میخوای جلو نرم نکنه برسم تو من تو کی من میخوام برسم به خودم خودم گم کردم گله گرگا وقتی به خودم اومدم گرگا مست بره شدم برد و باخترده تو روغه میدونم می آخر هر طول و فروغه میدونم می ببینم او من شاملون نیستم بلی نه کلی نگفته تو سکوت میدونم خوبی یا همیشه تو رو میدونم قدرت اصلی هم تو رو میدونم می هر کی سودم و تماشا کنه بقی منتظر سکوته میدونم سفید و سیانی یه چی بینشه راستی
2: و ریانی یه چی بینشه نه خوبه نه نه روزه نه شب، نه مونده نه آره همون یه چی بینشه گرم و نیستو نیست و یه چی بینشه جز را عمد نیست و یه چی بینشه نه شله نشهره نه, نه قله نه دره نه, نه آره همون یه چی بینشه خیلی هدف همون فقط یه پله میرسی میبینی پله باڛی و بزی را پله ها تمامی ندارن تازه میرسی قله میبینی قله بدی <مید> چاه میکنی به آب نمیرسی <مید> هرشی میری بازم سیر نمیشی <مید> بازم پایین تر هر بار که میرسی بازم <مید> به سراب توی افاق خیره میشی اینا مسیرهایی هم که مقصد ندارن <مید> باید ببینی که مقصد کجاست اگه یکم توی خودت بگردی میبینی که فقط مقصد خداست نه اون خدا که اون بالا نشسته اینجا. خدا یعنی همین زمینی که توشین نه اونی که دستت بالاست به سمتش خدا اشته همه وصلین بفهم همه از یه روحین صرفی و چی
4: بینش آسی و چی بینش نه خوه نه بده نه شب نه شبه نه مونده آره همه چی بینشه گرم و سرپیس و چی بینشه چی جز رومت میس و چی بینشه چی نه شوره نه شره نه, 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 نه آره همون چی بینشه